Hello and welcome to the Artist Contemporary Podcast, the podcast that champions contemporary artists, curators and galleries. Listen each week to hear me, Anna Woodward, speak to a different person about their experiences, their practice and what they're currently up to within the contemporary arts. Hi, welcome to the Ask Contemporary Podcast. Today I'm joined by India Nielsen and we're going to be talking about her practice and a very exciting new exhibition that's recently opened in Japan of her work. So India, please could you describe your practice? That's such a big question. (laughs) Jumped right (laughs) there. Hi, by the way, thank you for that introduction. Um, I mean, I guess, uh, describe my practice. I mean, I'm basically a painter. I, I do work across a lot of different media, but painting is at the core of and drives everything that I do. Um, everything else is an offshoot of that. Um, when I started painting, I was on my BA at art school um, at the Slade, which is separated into, into two, three pathways, um, painting, media and sculpture. Um, and even from the way that it was structured, the architecture of the building, Uh, It was very um, hierarchical. So media and sculpture were in the basement together and they would have all these events um, and painting was three flights of stairs up. And it had a very, very different vibe. Like, you know, everyone had their headphones on. It felt very kind of intense. And so painting for me felt um, like this impenetrable it had a kind of heaviness to it. Um, And for me, it felt, I guess, natural to, to try and reach for things that felt familiar to me and that were rooted in my own personal experience and in my own history. That was my way of sort of trying to get into painting. And because I grew up listening to a lot of producers like Aphex Twin, Kanye West, Frank Zappa, people like that. I I often pick artists that embody a quality that I want my paintings to have. Um, And then I I remix them together. So I usually start setting myself uh, a little kind of um, a challenge. Like, what if I tried to combine Guston with Peter Saul or uh, Van Gogh with Bridget Riley? Um, or Paul Tech, and then I go from there. Um, and each painting then bounces off of the ne- the last one. So it usually starts as a, a personal joke for me, uh, and it's also a way of building a relationship with the imagery that I use. I think that's a reflection of really how we process information online. Um, growing up, I use this analogy all the time, but um, growing up at the internet for me felt like living inside a kind of interactive cubist painting where there were lots of different time periods um, and histories and cultures flattened together in this virtual space where, you know, time doesn't exist anymore. Um, And it feels like our own sense of community and history has been uprooted. And because that experience is very disorientating and inconsistent, it makes sense that there are also inconsistencies 
within the paintings, but also between the works. Um, and I do see my work as functional rather than <laughs> representational or illusionistic. So I think that might also explain why there's a lot of moving around in terms of style. I think style is really just a kind of side effect of the function that you want your paintings to have. Um, but yeah, that's a big question. I mean, I, it reminds me of this talk I, I um, listened to Amy Silman give a few years ago, where she was saying she's only able to understand her paintings years after she's made them. So I feel like you should ask me this question in 10 years. We should, yeah. we should do like a catch up podcast. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Let's hope Nia's contemporary is still going then. Yeah, it's really interesting because last week I spoke to Ali Rosenberg and he was saying that when he wasn't as confident in his practice of what he was making, what he was producing, he found he could speak about his work a lot better because he felt he had to learn this rhetoric. Uh, rhetoric I can't say it. um he had to like learn this thing being like this what I'm doing to like try and justify it whereas he says now that he's so much more confident in what he's making and like happier with it he finds like his practice isn't about talking about the work which I found a really interesting when I think like people don't really speak about being like oh I don't like talking about my work or like who knows what my work is and what it's doing at the moment and sometimes you don't know until like you were saying until you remove yourself and step back and have distance from those pieces. Yeah, I think that might also be why, you know, art schools, especially in the UK, are very conversation heavy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I noticed that a lot of the work that people were making, because they knew they were going to present it in a seminar or a crit, uh, was very, like, reference heavy and was almost used as, like, a PowerPoint presentation that was going to be, like, the drop. And the main thing was what they were going to say about it and the conversation that we were going to have. So the work Mm. always came, it was always secondary. And so I spent a lot of my time at Slade not saying anything about my work because I wanted to try and see if the work actually did the things that I wanted to about me saying anything. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's that thing of when you are at art school, you're obviously also learning about art history and art theory and I think there's sometimes this need and the pressure that people put on themselves to be like, my work needs to be like aesthetically one thing, but intellectually, it also needs to be doing something and trying to kind of bring in all these different things to your work. Mm. When I found like, and then when seeing people kind of removed from that constant, like needing to justify and question what you're doing after leaving art school, that's when I think people's practices can really sometimes like slot into place because they're not being like shit I've got a crit in three weeks time I need to do this because I need to like prove why I'm doing this and show my like artistic yeah um knowledge rather than it just being about the physicality of the work and what the work is yeah I think it's an age thing too I think like you know the you're young when you first start at art school so you're just trying to learn a completely new language so it does make sense you know at the beginning you are making things that look like art you're trying to fit in with something until and then it gets to a point where you kind of break away and you sort of have developed your own language and then you feel more confident with that so there's no need for all the other stuff it's just like growing up really yeah (laughs) yeah how 
before you started at Slade, what sort of work were you making? Obviously, I know it's harder because like it's foundation and school, but you, were you interested in painting? Or was it much more about like the materiality and the sculpture kind of side of your work? Um, well, when I, I can't remember what I applied to the Slade with, but I remember when I started at the Slade, I was making a lot of work that was very um, much more conceptual and performance driven and mm. work that was meant, I think, to kind of provoke some kind of response. Um, I remember my first month at Slade, we had this sculpture week where we were literally meant to make sculpture and then critique. And when it came to my crit, a friend and I uh, drilled wooden boards all over the entrances to the rooms, locking all of the tutors and all of the students in. And then we just left the building through the fire escape and hid outside for the rest of the, mo- the afternoon. I think that was in the first week or the first two weeks. That's so fun. Um, that's well, so art school. That's the thing. It's so. But it's like the idealized idea of like what art school is. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. I mean, it was fun though. I mean, we hid drills so that they could um, like get themselves out. We hid drills around. Them. Yeah. Um, I think. Uh, like we were just looking for something that felt like a kind of energy and like something that felt mm. present and in the moment that I think we didn't feel like we'd been getting um, because it was yeah. very like theory driven uh, and very conversation heavy uh, and so I think it was probably a reaction to that and I don't regret doing there were lots of things like that and I don't regret any of any of those things because I feel like there were necessary steps for me um but even at the time I knew that that wasn't really what I was looking for like that wasn't really the kind of work I wanted to make because really it just made me dependent on that like I was really feeding back into this thing that I was trying to resist um and I I sort of realized that really the the thing that you need to do is to take a position rather than to try and oppose someone someone else's position so I had to really be genuine basically and like earnestly explore and express myself and be vulnerable through my work without any kind of embarrassment and I think that's what I learned from my experience at the Slade and the RCA um, because I started the RCA immediately after I left Slade was really the beginning of me uh, taking the time to figure that out because when I got the RCA I just focused on painting um, and I think that's because painting is the most simple, like, medium that you can use. Mm. So there was less to hide behind. Um, and yeah. also I think it's, it's like the perfect medium for kind of getting to know yourself, as cheesy as that might sound. Because um, you have to trust your intuition. And you can't think your way out of a painting. You have to basically just surrender to your instincts. And that's quite scary. Yeah. And there's such immediacy to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you can see the effects so quickly and see where it's taking. And like, it is such an accessible way of making work, but also an accessible way for the viewer to understand and read paintings. Because we we spend our life looking at like generally visually flat things, which paintings are. Yeah, I think that's what makes it quite a scary thing. There's like you know you can't hide behind anything and it's just so direct it's a bit like songwriting 
I think once you have a feel of the structure, I think the rest works best when it's left to instincts because it is much more honest that way. I think that I also spend quite a lot of time trying to get myself out of my own head because I do have a tendency to overthink. So I have to go through these kinds of rituals to stop myself from, it's a bit like throwing your brain something, like your conscious mind, like, you know, a bone or something to chew on while you like can get on and just like make decisions really, really quickly. And I want that the paintings work best when when I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. it's also like thing we were chatting about just before we started saying that you do have to take time away from your work and your practice and like do have periods of separation to like help remove yourself and form that distance and get space from your work to then you're able to kind of further understand it yeah I think I think actually I started learning that the RCA as well because I took a lot of time off um Mm. I mean at the Slade I lived quite an intense life as well. Like I lived in a studio and I I kind of didn't sleep very much. Um, We didn't really have showers. We would shower in the Muscle Works gym, like down the road. Uh, I was sharing with two other people. And yeah, I would just like come home from Slade and just paint like all night. And yeah when I got to the RCA that was when I feel like I really discovered like started to discover self-care and how uh, important sleep is and um, I was I wasn't spending as much time in the studio but I was I feel like the work was so much better and I was a lot more productive Um, and that was something that I didn't I don't know. I feel like everyone has to go through a, a kind of process like that where you're kind of testing out, I don't know, you know, ways of, I don't know, everyone goes through a phase where they're not sleeping. <laughs> yeah. Kind of just like themselves through, uh, through work, like through writing an essay or something. Yeah. How did you find the difference and the kind of comparison between the Slade and the RCA? Because obviously they're like, two of the biggest art schools in London how did you find kind of having experienced both um well they were totally different and I feel like Mm. really uh helped me so much because I feel like Slade um even though I I loved my experience there I felt like it was really it was so intense and there's only like I think there's 40 people in a year across painting sculpture and media Mm. Um, and you're there for four years so it is like a village and it is like a family in the good ways in that you know even now even though I left in 2016 like I still see like a lot of the people across all of the years that I went to Slade with and I'm genuinely really happy when I see them out Um, it just feels like we have this kind of connection that will probably never go away and I, I don't I, I do feel that with people at the RCA, but it's not quite the same. It's not as strong. Mm. I think that's because of the environment that the Slade had. It just it was just kind of crazy, really. Um, the RCA was much more chilled. Like, you know, a lot of people were older. They'd, like, spent a lot more time out. Um, and they were just a lot more down-to-earth, Um and I feel like that 
that probably helped the self-care thing to be honest Um, yeah and also because there were so so many people there there were like hundreds of people in a year um which was such a contrast um it didn't feel as much that people were watching you or you know competing with you so yeah I felt much freer to just do whatever I wanted I feel Mm. if I'd maybe continued on at the Slade for my MA or gone somewhere similar like similarly elitist I think I probably would have become an arsehole to be honest (laughs) (laughs) I think I probably would have hated life hated my work like there would be no joy in it yeah I feel like I enjoyed making work the most at the RCA and onwards for sure Mm. that's so good and how did you find going straight into a master's from your BA? I was really, I was kind of going back and forth about it because I wasn't sure whether it was a good idea because I had been at the mm. for years. Yeah. Um, and the reason I went was basically financial, really, because I needed to, you know, I would ha- I knew I'd have a studio, basically, for two years. Yeah. Um, but I was so glad that I went because I think if I'd, even if I'd just left the Slade as I was, I'd just be making paintings in a room on my own, like maybe in my garage or something. Mm. And I need, I think I needed a different environment to balance out the Slade because it was so intense. Um, I think I needed, yeah, I think I needed something that felt a bit more, uh, relaxed, so I guess it kind of like showed me a, a different way that you could approach your work and like approach like a studio practice, I think the RCA. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think because there's a massive, I think there are very valid opinions to kind of doing it straight away and not doing it straight away. And obviously the general trend is that you have like a couple of years or longer and then you go back. Whereas I was meant to go straight into my master's after my BA but because of COVID and stuff I deferred my place and people would be like why are you doing that like do you not want more time and stuff between it whereas I was always just kind of like well why can't I go straight in yeah yeah I mean you're going to be doing the same thing anyway that's the thing yeah you're still going to be painting so you may as well just go on to do the like do it at a school yeah definitely. get it out of the way as well yeah um, and it's kind of like the way I thought about it was like, well, the, like you were saying, you're going to do the same thing anyway. Surely I want to develop my practice further. And as long as I'm like, I think as long as you're confident or like happy for your practice when you go in at the beginning, mm. so that you can kind of take the like restructuring and all of that. Why, why does it matter if you've waited 10 years as opposed to going straight? Yeah, I think um, it's a kind of fear of like not thinking that you're ready for something, mm, like yeah. putting something off or feeling like you need more time. Um, I actually, I was considering going to one of the German schools, like if I didn't go to the RCA, like me and a friend went on a little tour around like Karlsruhe and like Dusseldorf and Frankfurt. Yeah. Um, but it just felt like a completely, like it, it was such a bubble because I mean the work that they make is good but it felt like um you know there are so many artists there who've been there for like 10 years 
and they're not really producing much mm. uh, and it felt like they were just kind of you know like taking drugs and like you know yeah like doing nothing they were living like because the, there's no the lifestyle yeah yeah the, living like, the lifestyle art, without idealized ice style yeah exactly. without the kind of like the lifestyle without the work yeah like is like going back to like the bohemian yeah life and like the moulin rouge and all of that kind of stuff that i think some people have of the art world who aren't in the art world and then you're in it and you're like oh no it's so different i think now it's so different as well in the sense of like being like artists you are kind of like a self-run business yeah i think it's this kind of old feeling that being radical means like not looking after yourself in some way or yeah and like somehow that makes you like you're like sticking it to the system Mm. like yeah I think the most radical thing you can do is really look like take care of yourself and like make sure that you've got your own kind of interests at the forefront Mm. I think like you know the pandemic has made people realize that I think that's why there's been so I don't think it's um I don't think it's uh, you know a coincidence that there've been so many political protests going on in the mm. past year. I think it's definitely, definitely. a catalyst for that because people have been able to you know uh, politically mobilize and think about what's important. Mm. Definitely, and going back to like the self care thing, I think there's this whole thing about. Um, I was reading about it the other day on guts. Um, I think Ellie and Daisy Paris were chatting about it, about how there's this thing of like um, young people from like wealthy families and kind of the privileged position of dressing like they're not and how it's actually just incredibly like offensive Mm. and people trying to look as if they don't have any money. Yeah. And things, do you know, like the fashion, like what I'm talking about? I do. I think it's like, you know, when you leave art school, like you kind of know who has, uh, I think you can tell who has like a kind of wealthy family from like the kind of food mm. you get in the first two years after art school. And I think yeah. a lot of people try and hide that because artists are not meant to be middle class or yeah. like wealthy, but most are because you have to be in a fairly privileged position to be able to go to art school in the first place. Exactly, even like the whole, ideology of art school is that it is a career and an industry that like is so privileged in what it stands for Mm. not just like the people in it what it stands for in the sense of like you're pursuing a career of things you just make yeah and expect people to buy them and purchase them and kind of worship your practice and stuff in that sense it's such a like privileged and small world yeah, I think, you know, it's not something that you should try and hide. Mm. Then you're just adding to the problem. Yeah. Um, it's like, what was I going to say? Mm. Why can't I remember? My brain's gone. <laughs> it's gone blank. So going back to your work, how do you want the viewer to interact with it? Um, I don't really try and... I try not to dictate how people interact with my work because firstly I feel like I'll always be wrong and it's kind of thought process that if I if I think about that too much in the studio it really just leads to me overthinking and Mm. 
trying to please an imaginary audience, which probably ends up being like your dad or something, <laughs> which you don't, <laughs> which you don't want. <laughs> Everyone's just trying to please their dad. Um, but yeah, I feel like the kind of the more I I make work for myself, and the more it you know gives me emotionally, the more it seems to be generous for other people and you know give something for them because if you're making work for yourself it's more likely to be honest and I suppose more vulnerable in the way you express yourself and I feel like that's what people relate to the most I mean that's the kind of work that I appreciate more you know not work that I felt was made for me or made for an audience Mm. yeah I think it's so important like as an artist and to have a sustainable practice that you can kind of continue making work the number one person it needs to be you yeah who believes in it and I think there's there's also this thing and sometimes like a snobby about it being like people being like do you like your own work do you think it's good and I think if your work is about aesthetics and certain things not like overtly being like oh your work has to be stylized or whatever just visually as an artist you have to be visually excited about your work and because like thinking about all the theory stuff like the theory stuff's important but you're going to be looking at it yeah I think it's almost considered embarrassing to like something Mm. or to like or narcissistic like to have your own paintings in your house or something yeah to like what you do and genuinely be proud of it is yeah considered really embarrassing which I think is stupid because that's the kind of that's a very art school thing as well to kind of feel like you have to prove your intelligence and prove your intelligence by mm. criticizing things or like hating things um and it's just so toxic and if you get you have some people never leave that kind of mindset yeah you have to really i feel like that's something that i started like i was very aware of it at the slade on my ba and i just I start. I had to really consciously unlearn that mm. because I knew that you know none of those things were really why I wanted to make painting, um, and I don't think anyone who went to art school, you know, you you go like you pursue it because you love it. Yeah, definitely, and that's what should always be the most important thing. Um, yeah, it's quite interesting. I've been like talking to people recently about this a bit more, and. Um, I've noticed like before in art school something you'd never be told but people being like if you really fucking like a work you've made keep it because you'll regret it if you sell it because you will never be able to get it back yeah and I feel like that's everything that you're not told at art school but even though but even though even at art school like selling out the idea of selling I think isn't spoken about enough because that's also seems like a negative thing yeah um I actually sold a painting when I graduated from the RCA and I still regret it. Yeah. And I was considering trying to buy it back um, before, you know, I feel like now would be the time you try and buy it back uh, because it's only been a couple of years. But I think it's gone. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like that I got an art, like I didn't, um, an art writing prize thing like a couple of years ago and part of it was that you have these workshops with like writers from freeze and like from all these random places 
Mm. you get to like ask them questions and things and they do workshops on like how to write for magazines and my question was just like you know about pay and like how you get paid and like much you should ask to get paid yeah and they didn't give me an answer and they were really like reluctant to answer that question and it was always Mm. a feeling of like how can you ask that yeah so this whole thing of like the artist is meant to be this like going back to like the middle class privilege thing um of like you do need as an artist you need to make money and it's almost in the art world like it's an embarrassing if you are making money or like you're doing extra things to fund your art career because being an artist is expensive even just like material costs and I think it's going back to the whole idea of like people just expect you to work for free yeah and you can only afford that kind of embarrassment if you are you know wealthy or if you are yeah higher class because like yeah there's no other job where you'd be expected to do things for free or like it would be embarrassing to discuss money yeah it's just which is such a shame and I think that kind of snobbery needs to go because people need to earn money and then as soon as you like open up speak about money and this is what I think Elliot Guts is really good at doing Mm. is people understand their worth but also then it means people who don't have financial backing from family or whatever can know the structure know how to charge people know what to charge people so they're not being taken advantage of and then it's like a richer fuller industry for so many amazing people rather than just your kind of certain type yeah exactly you have to know what you're entitled to um and also there needs to be more transparency like between yourself and other artists or other people who are working dance mm. and what they're getting paid because I left those yeah. workshops feeling like well I have no idea what to charge now because these mm. like really senior people uh I think one of them was like assistant editor at Freeze or something oh, wow. like wouldn't wouldn't say like how much you should charge um and it was just so weird like because I think also are you not earning because I was thinking is that because you're not really earning that much from it and you're you know you're getting the money from being an editor instead like Mm. but there was no uh I didn't feel like there was any kind of openness to talk about that yeah definitely it's just money is just such a weird concept and then in the artwork is just the secrecy on top of it which just makes it such a minefield mm. and so hard for people who are trying to do freelance stuff trying to kind of put themselves out there to understand what how what they charge and what their value is yeah which just means that you it continues that cycle of you being exploited yeah because it also is a kind of disconnection between you and other people who are in the same position none of you really know you're all in the dark and you're trying to guess guess at what you should be like how you should be treated um Mm -hmm. so I don't know how anyone expects for us to you know get anywhere else or make any kind of yeah and it's even it goes back to like the whole um pricing of artworks all the secrecy which I understand like controlling markets all of these things but like it's I find pricing so hard of my own work other people's work I'm find it easier because I can be like this is what I think no, no. 
but with my own work I'm just like I look at it and I'm like what the fuck is this worth like who knows yeah do you feel do you feel comfortable asking other people how much they charge like other artists or like your friends um yeah and I think more now because it'll normally be through the ask contemporary oh okay and like um but if you didn't have that as a kind of like you know a vehicle or like yeah do you feel like you would just be able to ask them as you as another artist probably not and I don't think even my friends like I wouldn't I wouldn't find it like appropriate like I wouldn't be like India what what are your prices if unless I was like interested in buying one yeah because there's that whole thing like and that's I guess where I know prices from arts contemporary doing us contemporary stuff is sending it is kind of being the middle person sending it to collectors and um doing online exhibitions and physical exhibitions so that's how I kind of from an artist point of view I've had a lot more exposure mm. to seeing what other people do um but yeah I think as from an artist's point of view I wouldn't but how did you ask. even like learn learn that enough to be able to do it through the artist contemporary because you know like coming from it as an artist none of us had taught those things so yeah. was it just sort of guesswork I think it's just I never like tell someone like what their work should be worth because it's not my place to but like oh you just let them decide yeah you mean yeah let them decide that like sometimes if it's just like I think so a lot of artists will undervalue their work mm. and because I'm seeing like a big comparison of people sending in their like catalogs and things of like what stage in their career they're at what the materials are what the paintings are what the pieces are I can kind of see just like the trends but it's still it's always it's such an ambiguous thing yeah I mean I think over the past year I've probably got a better idea of pricing but that's only been through like a lot of trial and error and doing a lot of shows yeah um and again like with that painting that I was just talking about that I sold when I graduated from the RCA I I sold it for way less than I should have I really Mm, I really regret that now I mean it's I'm lucky that it was only that one painting but still I yeah but I think you're also when you're kind of early career you're at this point where you're like I need to sell work because I need to get myself into collections I think it's almost like the secondary thing but I need to sell work to make money so that I can live and make more work yeah so that's another thing like how picky can you afford to be because you have to be um that you can't you know just sell to anyone and you have to make sure you sell to people who aren't just gonna put it in a storage space and then sell it off in five years but then at the same time like you said you do need to eat and you do need to make money so that's another another (laughs) another issue on top of all the other things yeah it's it's just so hard I think like when I was at City and Guilds for undergraduate like pre-graduating they had this kind of chart which they showed you and it was kind of it was talking about sizes so it didn't work for sculptures but it's just like if your work's this size it should be within this price bracket but obviously as soon as you graduate those prices are too low so that was really good they used that system for like the internal shows or like if you were doing a student run show of just being like this is where, if you're selling, this is kind of where your work should sit, depending. We really, um, we didn't have that at all. I feel like yeah, in guilds is more practical in that way. Yeah, I think it is practical, but I think, I mean, I think all art schools can teach 
a bit more on the business side and kind of get rid of like this kind of idea that like you're just going to spend your life making art and that's all you're going to do someone else is going to deal with everything but I think when you're at the emerging level there's not that luxury to have a gallery do everything for you and I think they need to teach a bit more about that kind of stuff yeah definitely I mean it's a very small group of people who get picked up by a gallery straight away and even and so in a way, the people who are picked up by galleries straight away are even, you know, in a more vulnerable position because they don't know what they should expect and how to deal with the galleries because it's not, you know, you can't assume that the gallery has their interests at heart either yeah. or that the gallery has, you know, the right kind of ethics. Think- mm. It's even like the thing with being picked up from degree show. Normally your prices will be doubled instantly. And then what happens if, in like two years time your practice changes or you're just not making the same work and they don't like it you could now be a very high price point with only being five years out of art school yeah I mean you need you really need something that is or a gallery that's going to you know ride you through like mm. the next 10 years really and is like yeah. really taking the long-term view for your work um, and I guess in a way like thinking of you as a person more so than yeah just the kind of work that you're making at the moment I mean there are lots Mm. of um artists who were picked up immediately from art school and then were like blew up they were everywhere already and they're probably only like 30 or something but they're like dropped off and it's like their their career's over and that's really scary I feel like the distance between like I don't know the generations in that way is like narrowed massively it's like artists who blow up when they're like 22 or something there you already see people at art schools now copying them and like making versions of their work even though there's they're probably the same age it's like a um sitting girl I think in the last kind of 10 years has kind of picked up like had some amazing artists graduate from them and I think you always kind of see in first year and like when everyone comes in and just kind of like figuring out what they're doing you always see someone painting like Flora Yakovic or kind of looking into Ollie Epps work because it's the whole, like Antonio showering practice and stuff because they're like they went here and they're now doing incredibly yeah. well and they did it at this art school so I'm gonna do that yeah that's the thing though it's like style is just a side effect like you know Mm. Antonia Showering I I don't know her but I'm sure she makes those paintings because they are in line with some kind of value system that she has it's a natural way that she approaches the you know the references that she uses but if you just like look at her work and start thinking oh I'm going to paint those figures in that way I'm going to use this kind of color palette then what are you really doing it for exactly you can't yeah no and I think that's the thing with painting and that's why like I just absolutely love painting and love chatting to painters because I think each person's painting language is so so individual Mm. and like you can't you can experiment with it and push it and try and like alter it but ultimately you're the only person who can do that and I think definitely in abstract works and kind of in more painterly works but like that is your unique language and mark making and what you do. Yeah, and I think especially, you know, 
with the fact that you're probably not going to be making a lot of money, at least in the first five years after you graduate. You have to really build up that kind of relationship with your work. Like you have to um, really love it. Yeah, and be confident. Yeah, and really believe in it. Otherwise, there's no, you can't keep going. Because really, Mm -hmm. it's like, I think somebody like referred to it as being out in the cold when you leave art school or you leave an art institution because there's no guarantee that anyone's going to look at your work or anyone's going to care. And so you have to be able to generate your own kind of joy in it. Um, Yeah. I mean, I, I, I actually did kind of worry a bit about that when I left the RCA because I'd been at Slade for four years and then the RCA for two and then I'd, foundation year before both of those courses um so that's like you know a medical degree but at the end of it you're not really qualified for anything um Mm. and it's almost like you have to start from square one like you're you're just getting like a part-time job you know like in a cinema or something um yeah I felt like it was a really good sign that once I left I felt so free and like I've enjoyed my work so much more than what yeah it's funny like I've had this kind of weird year of like being in between BA and MA but also with it being COVID it's meant that I've kind of had I like from my job I've been on furlough for most of the year so I've kind of had this thing that I've I've been getting income but I've had like the whole year to basically just ha- do my practice and do the arts contemporary which is such a weird concept to like be able to do this at like 22 23 yeah I mean that's amazing I mean it's been great like I'm not complaining at all but it's kind of I think it'll be it may like slightly like skew my like perception of being an artist because I I could do it straight after art school yeah I mean I I'm quite lucky in that my part-time job is teaching one day a week um so I have been able to work like I've been teaching over zoom we've just started in person now but the rest of the time I have been able to just work and just spend my time in the studio I think painters have had it I don't know if I can say had it easier because obviously we're all in like not in a great financial situation but I feel like at least you can if you can get to your studio hopefully it hasn't affected you too much yeah and I think ultimately with painters and artists who make physical objects and objects to sell um we've you can make an income and it's something it's not like the other art industries and performers and musicians and um people like that who haven't been able to work for a year yeah I feel like also people seem to be buying a lot more now since the pandemic started especially younger artists and especially artists who've just graduated yeah it's like that might um, be partly because they're cheaper as well and uh they want to invest but also because I think they want to you know support support artists yeah I think there's also there's a massive kind of thing in like wider society being interested in art and I think there is that thing with the emerging market it is more affordable and accessible to invest but I think before it was quite like a forgotten industry in the sense that if you weren't interested in art you wouldn't really know who the emerging artists graduating from Slade, RCA, City and Guilds 
each year whereas I think now with kind of other platforms and stuff it's kind of more accessible to find emerging artists and I think that is also through social media which helps that and allows that kind of accessibility. Yeah I mean I felt really sorry for the um, graduating year at the RCA because obviously they didn't get a degree show um, yeah. but I think because they had so many petitions and they got so much press around the fact that they couldn't access their studios they didn't have a degree show and yet yeah. they were still expected to pay in full yeah but because of that I think a lot I mean a lot of galleries picked up on it and then they offered them their spaces so I think mm. a lo- they had like I don't know how many shows they had there were so yeah, many had- but it was quite interesting though but I kind of felt like when I got to the end of last summer that there were all these amazing opportunities but this isn't the artist's fault this is kind of the like art world getting into this whole thing of supporting these graduates was I was just seeing the same shows just in different settings yeah that is quite strange but I feel like it it does kind of make sense if you think of it in terms of a degree show because they were it wasn't like they were curating a show they were really thinking Mm. about it as being a great show they were just thinking okay we're going to use or like lend our space to kind of give a platform for these artists yeah and that was really all that it was used for yeah, but I think there's also kind of the argument that, like, some people would have been missed out in those opportunities and stuff. And I just kind of, I went to the Saatchi when I went to the Christian Yelliard ones. And um, the sh- I know it was kind of all done together, but the shows were quite similar. And then there was another couple of, I can't remember which, maybe it was Hale's Gallery. They did something. And then I was kind of looking at who's in it. And I was like, I've seen their work. Not that it's been, like, you should always go and see physical work. But I was just kind of like, is it going to be the same thing? And I was kind of put off because I was like, I want to see other graduates, yeah, do you mean... not just these same yeah. names. I want to kind of, I would hope there's opportunities for more mm. people and like, it not just be like the Slade and RCA. Yeah, you mean they were picking artists people. who they thought would be more like commercially viable? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Which is probably how it, yeah. And I think, I feel sorry for RCA students, especially is that I'm pretty sure their shows now are just going to be online. Yeah, for sure. But like, especially now they've had that first like wave of uh, galleries kind of being interested in letting their spaces mm-hmm. out and helping out the artists who are graduating, I feel like that's going to drop off after the first Definitely. year of the pandemic. So now they are just going to be left with a virtual show. Mm. Yeah, and I think like virtual shows are great and they make work. Not they make great. art so accessible. <laughs> but but no, but I mean I think. No, but I think virtual and physical shows, I think virtual shows are good in the sense of accessibility, that more people can see your work, but ultimately art needs to be seen. No, especially, you know, if you think about all the things that you learn at your, you know, at art school or during your course, you're Mm -hmm. missing out on all of that because the teaching is going to be online as well. At art school, there is no teaching, really. You've got a studio and a crit and that's it. Yeah, and, like, sometimes in lectures about art history, and I think that's why, like, art school is such a weird concept. And, like, to people who, even when I, I like, speak to family friends, they'd be like, what are you up to? I'd just be like, I'm at art school. I wouldn't be like, oh, I go to university, because I was like, it's not really, like, doing a normal degree. It's like, you go, it's almost like at 18, 19, whenever you start, you go straight into living as an artist and being an artist, because it is just kind of practice for when you're, it's like a cushioned version of yeah it's just like an environment that you gain access to 
and suddenly mm. you're around a group of artists and you're able to like make work around them and it's almost like you're kind of applying for the privilege to be there and be in yeah. that kind of community it's very weird because it is I feel like the mechanics of it like the mechanics of the art world if you want to call it that are invisible and so and you aren't really taught how to how to navigate that you just have to kind of like figure it out on your own yeah and I think that's why there is a big thing of like you go to art school to to find your peers yeah and it's like it's the way that you meet other artists and I think there's a thing that when people haven't been to artists and like I've spoken to people through the Ask Contemporary about it and they're like they're like how do I meet people it's so much harder like how do you know these artists I'm like because I went to uni with them or like I then like know them from going to like exhibitions with people from sitting gills and it's just such a small world but I think from an outsider it could be quite hard to kind of get into that yeah I think that's a thing that you kind of become blind to if you have been in those institutions I think that's Mm. something I've been very lucky with is just the people that I know just because I went to those schools um yeah and I think you do forget how hard it can be if you're going to art school outside of London even or in a different Mm. country yeah um you're kind of shut out of that community definitely I think that's also why like I understand why like international school fees are more expensive for like international students wanting to study in the UK but I'm kind of sometimes I look at it and I'm like people are paying so much money for what what are they getting no, out think, of it yeah a network the, of people and I just find it a really international fee insane concept. I feel like that's so exploitative because it's double they so 18,000 pounds a year uh, it's a just it's so it's so much and especially I think to charge artists that much with like you were saying like you can graduate you can and it not work out for you and you've paid so much money I know that is life but like it's stressful. I mean some parts of the world it is you know like in Germany you don't have to pay those fees you don't pay anything yeah I think you might pay like 300 euros a year or something which is yeah but in the UK and in America it's even worse America is so completely bankrupt yourself yeah before you've even yeah I mean I met someone actually who was an artist who I think went to um CalArt he Mm. had moved to London basically to kind of run away from debt collectors in the US and he said never go back (laughs) because I owe them like probably two hundred thousand dollars by now because their loans are different to here you have to pay back immediately and I think with interest yeah uh, so he he's he can never go back <laughs> he can never go back he has to stay here that's mad it's like I um when I was 18 I got into the new school in New York and like I was talking to my parents about it and they were like well you're not going like have you seen the fees yeah. and I was like oh okay and they were like people save their whole life to send their children to university in America because it's so much money and they were like the UK is expensive but it's not that it's not as like ridiculous amount of money as it is in America and they were like yeah not going now I'm so glad yeah I I mean even I even felt that kind of pressure being at art school in London of you know you've put Mm. so much money into being there you have to somehow like make something out of this you know you have 
make yeah. money at the end of it. So I can't imagine what it must be like in America being at art school. I don't know how you could choose to go to art school in America with that kind of pressure over you and still have the kind yeah. of freedom to make work and not stress. the money yeah. to make work. Or have that stress over your head. Yeah. It's just, it's absolutely crazy. I feel really bad we haven't had time to speak about your show, but do you want to do like a two minute <laughs> sum up before we finish of the show and where people can see it online and see all sure. your um, Well, it's called Crybaby. Uh, it's just opened and will run until the 24th of April at M Labor Gallery in Tokyo. Uh, and there's also a text written by Hector Campbell. Um, and the the title of the exhibition basically grew out of all of the things that I was speaking about at the beginning. Um, I was thinking a lot about the kind of characters um, and things that I grew up sort of listening to and absorbing that shaped my identity. And although I use figures from when I was younger, like him from the Powerpuff Girls, for example, and Donna, Mariah Carey, Throbbing Gristle, uh, Catholicism. Uh, there's no, the paintings aren't nostalgic in any way because they have so much energy and they're so present. I think what makes them so present is because they are functional. They have a specific yeah. intention and use to me. And the experience of making them feels like a processing. Um, it was like a kind of configuration of my own like mental architecture as I'm making the paintings. I do think processing yeah. is a key word for me because although the works might seem quite kind of otherworldly, they are very much rooted in the everyday. Um, and I have also been thinking a lot about self-care in the past couple of years. And mm. I guess of the importance, especially for women, of affirming all of our emotions not just the ones that are productive or socially acceptable and I say yeah. especially for women because I think I feel like we're taught that our feelings are a kind of weakness that holds us back. Mm. Um, because yeah. it it makes us um, it can make us unproductive um, and not necessarily you know socially acceptable um, I think mm. emotions are kind of classified as positive or negative based on how useful they are I th I feel like the kind of repetition of those sorts of messages get to the point where you basically start policing yourself and you stop trusting your feelings and your emotions yeah. and other than being you know obviously misogynistic it's it also comes from this kind of ableist like capitalist drive for us to be you know, productive cogs in a machine. And if a cog stops working, there's a kind of self-shaming that goes on. I feel yeah, I think that's, yeah. With the whole like idea of cogs and like women and emotions and stuff, it's this whole thing of like, women should now have careers and be successful, but women should always also be loving mothers. You have to be everything. And like everything, and you can't, you, you can do both, but it's so hard and people don't realise it. And then it's the whole thing if you don't, if you choose to just not just be a mother, that's not the right thing, but you choose to do that full time, it's like, oh, they don't work. Like, yeah, why not? That's the thing. I feel like you, you're expected to take on all of these roles, but all of these roles are serving other people. 
um yeah like serving someone other than yourself you're kind of meant to like subjugate mm-hmm. yourself um yeah and even like the whole thing of like pregnancy or like whoever like if you have a child and decide to go down that route it's like you're pretty much told like give up a year yeah. of your yeah. career and then you're also looked down on for that um but it's all in again it's like it's all invisible um you don't mm. necessarily it's meant to be like free labor all the work that you put into yeah. raising a child um there's so much work involved and it's you're never off there's no like nine to five mm. um but yeah I feel like the pandemic has kind of highlighted this as well because for the first time and probably you know, a hundred years or something. A lot of people were unable to be productive, um, and I think it led to a lot of reassessments. And yeah, yeah like I was saying I before, was... in my own life, I've been consciously unlearning all of this because, in reality, our emotions are really valuable guides, and it's our mind and our body trying to tell us what to pay attention to. Um, yeah, and I yeah. I've said this before, but I have a lot of vivid dreams, uh, and more so since the pandemic started. Uh, and I, I often have these kind of recurring dreams with um, recurring characters that kind of shapeshift. Um, mm-hmm. The only thing that they have in common is that they're all trying like desperately to tell me something and communicate with me. So the feeling I'm left with is like it's a kind of puzzle that I have to decode. And that's the feeling that I have when I, I make these paintings. It's like a kind of emotional puzzle. But that's that's basically what Crybaby grew out of. All of this. Yeah, amazing. It looks good. I think it's going to stop. It stops oh, okay. at an hour. Has it stopped already? So, of course you said. No, we're at 59 and 22. So it's good. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. It's been so great to chat, to learn more about your practice and to express our thoughts about certain things within the art world. Yeah, we spent a long time talking about the art market. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Artist Contemporary Podcast. Remember to check out the Artist Contemporary Instagram and to subscribe to the podcast to keep up to date with all the episodes, artists and exhibitions that are posted on the platform.